Well, good morning. It's great to see all you here. Uh, no, you're not going crazy. I am not Nathan. Uh, my name is Brian Burns, and I get the privilege of bringing the message to you today. But don't worry, my sermon will not end with a story about me jumping off a cliff that will slowly unfold <laughs> over the next four weeks. This is a one-week deal, so you're going to get Nathan back next week, but uh, he, he needed a break. So he has been... Uh, walking us through this sermon series called The Content of Christmas and about how some of the practices around uh, Christmas, some of those traditions, can make Christmas about a what or those things. And uh, we're trying to figure out how to make it more about a who. And so last week, Nathan talked about preparing our hearts for Christmas and how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And so this week, we're going to look at another common practice that we have, which is giving gifts and how even there we can use that to point us towards Jesus. So before we get started here, I'm going to open in a word of prayer and uh, we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this uh, time together right now. I pray that I can step out of the way, that your words can be used today, and that you can uh, just shape us and help us get ready for this, uh, this holiday, um, your birth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's that time of year where at least most of us are rushing around trying to find presents for the people on our list. And I don't know about you guys, but for many of us, it's kind of turned into like an Amazon wish list exchange where I'll text you my Amazon wish list, you text me yours, and then we'll order that stuff and we'll deliver it to each other on Christmas Day. And it, it does make things a little bit easier, but that's not always how it goes. There are those occasions where we want to buy something for someone not on their list. You know, we want to buy them that thing that, that uh, they're going to love, they just don't know it yet. Well, many, many years ago, I remember a time where my sister, Laurie, did that. She wanted to buy a gift for her, her husband, my brother-in-law, Tom Tonelli. Now, many of you guys know Tom, and he's like the greatest guy in the world, but he's very difficult to buy gifts for because he never asks for anything, and he never wants anything. But this particular year, Laurie had thought she'd found the perfect gift for him, a cell phone. Now, this is before cell phones had become what they are today, of course. As a matter of fact, back then, all you really used them for was calling, but they weren't exactly cutting-edge technology at the time. I mean, most of us had phones. All of us that were there, I think, had phones. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Tom's not like an early adopter of technology either. But Laurie knew that he would love this. And so she wrapped it up and gave it to him on Christmas Day. And we all got together. This is before any of us had kids. And so we all went over to my mom's house and uh, gathered, got into a circle, and we passed out the presents. And then we would take turns watching each other. And when it came to Tom's turn, of course, he had a pile of presents in front of him. My sister was so excited that she insisted that he open her present first. And so he takes her present and he unwraps it. And then he sits there and he looks at, uh, at the box, at the cell phone box, and he's like trying to process what it was. I guess back then it was probably more like that, right? But he's looking at the box. And Laurie can't stand it any longer. So she screams out, It's a cell phone! And we all are like clapping. You're like, yes, finally, Tanelli, you caveman. You got a phone, you know? And it's like we're, we're excited for him. And then she just stepped back and waited for his joyous reaction. But it didn't come. Instead, he was like in shock. And he's just kind of looking at it, turning it over in his hands. And finally, he mumbles something. He's like, so is there like a, a service plan or something with it? 
And Laurie's like, well, yeah, but this is the present. The gift is the phone. And then Tom said some words that live in infamy in our family. We still remember and tease him today. He actually looked up, not really thinking, and he said, so you're giving me a bill for Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the smile that was on Laurie's face disappeared, as you can imagine, and she ran out of the room in tears. And so there's Tom with all of us looking at him, and I think someone said, like, nice job, T. And finally, he, like, got jolted back to reality. He realized what he said, and he went chasing after her, trying to make amends and tell her how much he he loved the phone. So, and I thought of that story when I was preparing today, because isn't that how Christmas goes sometimes? We spend all this time and energy and money on, on buying these gifts, only to see them not go over quite how we had hoped. Even if they don't go over poorly like that, they still, on that day, on Christmas Day, it's all over so fast. And all we're left with is ripped up wrapping paper. And of course, the credit card statement that's going to be coming. Right? We all have that feeling in us. And it can become that the craziness of the shopping and the buying of the gifts, that becomes the focus of Christmas. And when that happens, it can steal the contentment out of Christmas. And it's very easy to sit there and point at the gifts and look at the physical gifts themselves and say, that's the reason. If we didn't have gifts, everything would be great. But I don't think that's the answer either. Because that still makes gifts the point. And if there's anything I hope that you get from this message today, if there's anything that you remember, it's this. The gifts are not the point. They should be given to point. The gifts are not the point. They should be given to point. Today we're going to go through the first Christmas. Where the gift, when the gifts that were given, they didn't steal the contentment because they weren't the point. No, those gifts presented that day, they actually heightened the celebration because they were given two point. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us. It's Matthew 2. It will be up here on the screen as well. But we're going to start in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important to to ask the question, who are the Magi, and why are they so interested in Jesus? Unfortunately, this scripture, or really the Bible in general, doesn't give us a whole lot of history about the Magi, but there was a Greek historian by the name of Herodotus that wrote about the Magi, and what he wrote was that they were actually a, a tribe at one time, uh, a tribe from a country called Medes, and they, they were conquered by the, by the Persians. And when the Persians conquered them, they, of course, absorbed them into their culture. But when that happened, the Magi lost all political power. And so they became priests, and they gained religious power. And as the time went on, of course, that religious power equated to some political power as well. And what we also learn about them is that they studied stars, astronomy. 
and science and philosophy, but not just for their own culture. They studied this for cultures all around them. They were the guys that knew everything. And so people started to refer to them as wise men. And that's why you'll see that wise men and magi, they're synonymous. They're interchangeable. As a matter of fact, depending on the version of the Bible you have, uh, it might say wise men in there because you could use either one. So that gives you just a little bit of an idea of who the magi are. But why are they interested in Jesus? They aren't Jews, yet they have traveled all this way to look for the king of the Jews. Well, one of the, the most famous wise men, if you will, in the Bible that we read about is a guy named Daniel. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel was more than just a wise man. It says in uh, Daniel 2.48 that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, actually put Daniel in charge of all the wise men. So he was like the wise man of all wise men. And that matters because, of course, Daniel was a Jew. And Daniel prophesied about the coming Messiah, this king of the Jews that would rule over all. So it's perfectly reasonable to believe that the magi or the wise men that followed Daniel would continue to read some of his prophecies. They'd be well-versed on what he wrote. And so there would be interest in this Messiah. In addition, we do know that the Magi uh, were fascinated with stars, as I mentioned, and the fact that God chose to use a star to guide them would have only heightened their interest. But whatever the reason, what we do know, they were very interested. They were very interested in Jesus, enough to send them on this mission to find them. And so we presume that the star led them as far as Jerusalem. And at that point, they needed a little help. They needed to figure out how to find out where exactly Jesus would be. And so they went to the most logical place they could think of, Herod's kingdom. And I guess that I, they would probably be assuming that there would be priests or teachers that would have further information about the Messiah that maybe could direct them to the right place. So that's where we're going to pick it up here. In verse 3 it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he, called, had, uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So did you hear that? It said Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed by this news. And I read that and I think, and then you follow it up and say, okay, so did that motivate them to go look for Jesus? No. It says Herod sent them. He sent the wise men to go look for Jesus. And when I read that, it made me think about just this past Thanksgiving holiday, just a few weeks ago. We went to Utah to visit some family. And uh, we were heading back to Colorado the day after Thanksgiving, that Friday after. And uh, we went through Wyoming to get back home. And it was just a miserable drive. It was blowing snow and cold. Imagine that in Wyoming. And uh, we were going through that. And it took like nine brutal hours to get to Laramie. 
And once we got to Laramie, we thought, okay, thankfully, we're almost done. It's like a couple hours, two and a half hours or whatever uh, to get back to Denver from Laramie. And it actually had kind of cleared up, so it, it was feeling like we were going to get home okay. Well, when we got to Laramie, we found out that both the highways leading to Denver were closed. And it was like 10 o'clock at night at this point, and I was just like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and wait for them to open. So went and got a hotel room. Even though we were bummed, we got a hotel room, and the five of us jammed into this room. And uh, we even left our suitcases in the car because we were so positive we were going to leave first thing in the morning. Well, next morning comes, and I check the road. And lo and behold, not only is it still closed, both roads are still closed, they didn't anticipate them opening until the following day, Sunday at 4 p.m. So we were going to be there another day and a half. And so I broke the news to my family, and everybody was super disappointed, except for our four-year-old who was, like, pumped to be able to stand under the night in the hotel. But the rest of us were like, oh, because we're at the tail end. You know how that feels. You're at the tail end of a vacation, and you just want to get home because we're going to have to prepare for the next week. Kids are back in school. All that is, we just wanted to be home. Well, everybody was super disappointed, but we accepted the hard truth that we were stuck there for another night. All of us, except for my 17-year-old son, Riley. Riley was devastated by this news. I mean, like, irrational. He's like, no, Dad, we've got to get home. I was like, well, I, I don't control the roads, Riley. I can't do anything about it, man. It's closed. And he's like, no, I'm going to find us a way home. And he, like, leaves the room. I'm like, okay, good luck on that. You know, I'd already talked to the hotel, all the people that work there, and they're all like, there is no way you're getting home. And so anyways, Riley's sure he's going to do it. About, I don't know, sometime later, Riley comes back in. He's like, found a way home, Dad. I was like, really? Okay, let me see it. And he's like, no, it's going to take a little bit longer. I was like, by that he meant it was going to take five hours. It was a lot of backtracking. And, and I, he shows me the route. He'd been searching through maps, and he shows me the route on his phone. And I was like, I don't, what are these roads? I don't recognize these roads. He's like, I don't know, but they're open. And I was like, ugh, this sounds sketchy, Riley. I don't feel comfortable with this. And he's like, Dad, we have got to do this. I've got to get home. So finally, I was like, okay, let's go talk to the guy in the front that we had already asked. And I said, let's show him your route and see if he can get us home, if this will get us home. So we go up to the front, and this guy is, uh, he's kind of irritated. He doesn't want to really talk to us about trying to get home. But I, I go, hey, look, um, we found this route, or Riley showed him, and he said, I've got this route. Could this get us home? Can we get home with this route? And the guy looks up, and he said, yep, but I wouldn't. And I said, <laughs> okay. It's like, why? Why wouldn't you do it? And he said, and he's kind of annoyed, and he looks up, and he's like, because those roads, they're not plowed. And he said, and if you go out on them, you are absolutely going to get stuck. And if you get stuck, no one's going to come look for you, so you and your family will all die. So I said, well, that's a good reason. I guess that's fair, right? So we walk away, and I'm thinking, case closed. Okay, at least Riley can let this go now. No, not even then was he satisfied. He's like, Dad, we can do this. And he said, we'll go 20 miles an hour and put it in four-wheel drive. We will do this. And once he finally realized there's no way I'm doing it, he actually got mad at me and walked away and had to just be alone for a while. Well, I tell you that story as an example when we really want something, there is nothing that can stop us from doing it. Apparently not even the life of your entire family to get a Laramie, Wyoming. <laughs> but now, okay, now I look at that and I compare that 
I look back to, to Herod here. And it says Herod's disturbed, but I think that's a little bit of a, a, a short sell there because if you look at other versions of it, it tells us he was deeply disturbed by this news. The news that there was this Messiah that was born. It, we know it was a huge deal because later uh, we find out that he actually sends people to go kill all children two years and younger. That's how big of a deal it was to try to get Jesus. And yet, he's given this news, and let me help you understand, Jerusalem, which is where Herod was, is only a few miles from Bethlehem. And he wouldn't put up the minimal effort to go find Jesus. Now, please understand me. I'm glad he didn't. I'm well aware that he had evil intentions. But it's still confusing to me that if you care about something, why aren't you going to look? Now look at the Magi. Most biblical scholars think that their journey was hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem. And that it would have taken months, if not a year or more, for them to get there. See, they cared so much that nothing, nothing would stop them from finding Jesus. And that's convicting to me because it's such an incredible example. And I wonder, how am I preparing my heart for Christmas? Am I searching for Jesus? If I was a wise man back in that day, would I have given up everything, my home, my family, my time, my comfort, to go search for this new baby king? Or would I have put in the minimal effort? Part of finding contentment at Christmas, part about making Christmas about Jesus, is about, Jesus, is about simply seeking him finding opportunities to make it about him. The seeking is a big thing. Yet, it's really difficult to do sometimes. Yes, the wise men had many miles, hundreds of miles to journey through and uh, probably had all sorts of distractions and dangers along the way. But what about us? I present to you Black Friday. I love that last one. It's like it doesn't get violent with them, but they're just like tug-of-war on that big box there. But, you know, okay, even if you weren't involved with something like that, even if Black Friday isn't even like that anymore because of all the online shopping, this time of year, we're still bombarded with distractions. Every week in December, we have multiple activities, parties, uh, get-togethers that we're expected to attend. And then there's the Christmas cards where we got to go get our pictures done and then write a card and then mail them out. And then once we start receiving the cards, we realize that we didn't send cards to some of the people we're receiving from, so we have to send more out. Okay, that's just us maybe. But it's this whole process, right? And then there's the annual Christmas traditions, right? you got to put up the Christmas tree. we got to put up the stockings. 
We've got to make Christmas cookies. We've got to go look at Christmas lights. The, the list goes on and on and on. Imagine if this Christmas we're able to set those distractions aside. It doesn't mean we're not going to do some of them. It doesn't mean we don't participate in some of them. But what if we put them aside and made our focus searching for Jesus, seeking him with all our heart, just like the wise men did so long ago? I think we'd have a very different type of Christmas. Well, as we continue on in the scripture, we see what the wise men did once they actually found Jesus. If you go on here in verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the child, or when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented, with, uh, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the Magi continue their journey after their brief stop in Jerusalem. And then, lo and behold, the star is back. And it's guiding them. And it says when they see it, they're overjoyed because they know they're at the home stretch. And they just have a little bit further to go and that the star is going to lead them right to the doorstep of Jesus. No, it probably wasn't the manger. It was long after that. It doesn't really tell us how old Jesus was when they arrived, but it does tell us what they do. They give him gifts. And the gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the question probably would be uh, uh, thrown out there is, what is a little kid or what does a baby want with these kind of gifts? What does he want with these things? And if you look it up online, you can find all sorts of articles that talk about this and how uh, they, they talk about the meaning of the gifts and how they might uh, point or foreshadow to how Jesus would give up his life. And there's all sorts of things out there, and they all might be true. But I think that when we start focusing on the gifts, we can get so wrapped up in the gifts themselves that, again, we make them the point. And we forget a really important thing, and that is what made the gift so impactful. And so today, I have brought to you guys, I'm going to share with you, some gifts that I have received through the years that I have found impactful. Now, these are gifts from my kids, uh, and I've kept them for many, many years, some of them. And uh, I have a whole drawer full of these kind of things, but I'm going to just share with you a few of them today, okay? So... The first one I'm going to share is this, and if you can't tell, it's a trophy made out of Play-Doh, okay? And this is a gift that uh, my oldest kids, uh, Riley and Ava, made for me when they were little. And an interesting fact about this is if you look in here, there's actually a silver dollar jammed into the cup of it. I have no idea why. If that adds a little bling to it, I'm not sure. But this is the gift they gave to me that I've held on to, okay? There's one. This next one... This is a card that I received from my son Riley when he was just a little boy. It's a birthday card. And you see all this uh, cool-looking uh, rope and string all over it. These are actually, that year we had bought a bunch of gift bags, and uh, they have that rope at the top of them, right? Well, Riley found it, cut them all off, <laughs> and made cards out of them. And so this is the card he made for me. And so many people that year 
received gift bags from us without anything on the top of it because <laughs> they've been made into cards, okay? So there's that one. This next one is for my daughter, Ava. As you can tell, it's a, it's a necklace. So, and what I love about this is that when one necklace doesn't do the trick, you just add a second necklace onto it. So, this is a two-for-one deal. It's two necklaces. It's a little long, but uh, that's, uh, that's what she made. Okay, and then this final one I'm going to share with you is from my four-year-old, Ezekiel. So, this one's new. He made it last year. And uh, we were decorating the tree just a couple weeks ago. And he saw this, and he grabbed it, and he's like, Dad, Dad, I made this for you. And I was like, oh, cool, man. And he said, yeah, I made it because it reminded me you. It looks just like you. <laughs> I said, the gingerbread man looks like me? And he's like, yeah, don't you love it? And I said, dude, I love it. It is awesome. And, and so I started looking, and then he saw me looking at it. He's like, yeah, I ran out of eyes. Sorry about that, Dad. So this is my eyeless twin gingerbread man that my son Ezekiel made for me. So, so why are those gifts impactful? Is it because they're worth so much money? They got so much monetary value to them? No. Well, this one's worth a dollar, I guess, right? Um, no. It's not because they're worth so much money. Is it because they're so useful? Because I'm going to get a lot of use out of them on my everyday life. I can use them for work and no, no. They're not all that useful either. I've kept them and they're so impactful because I remember when my kids gave them to me. They were giving me their best. They had worked the hardest they possibly could and they were presenting me their best and they gave them to me 100% solely because they love me. No other reason. There's nothing else to it. Now let's look at the Magi's heart here. It says when they gave their gifts, before they gave their gifts, what did they do? They bowed down and worshipped Jesus. And then they gave their gifts. And I think it's important, it didn't just use the word gifts. Do you hear what it said? It said they opened their treasures these were the best things they could possibly give. The most valuable things in their lands, the things that meant the most to them. They packed them up and brought them on this long journey and they gave their best to Jesus and they did it solely out of worship for him. That's really cool when you think about why it is we still talk about them 2,000 years later. It's because of their heart when they gave them to Jesus. And it's because they gave their best. That's why we talk about them. That's what makes them so impactful. No, Jesus did not need the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He didn't need that stuff. But God delights when we give him our best, our treasures. And when we do it 100% solely because we love him. Those are the things that God and Jesus keep in the drawer, right? Those are the things he put on the fridge. Those are the things that have value to them. It's off of our heart. That's what makes it impactful. And that's what the wise men did. 
Now, after the Magi presented the gift, there's one final verse, and we're going to actually close with this today. It's in verse 12, and it said, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And it's very easy to gloss over that last verse and just end with the fact that they gave their gifts and gave their best. But I think it's important to remember, Herod gave them an order. He gave them a command. You are to come back to me and tell me where Jesus is. You need to report back to me. And this is the king that had given them this command. And you have to imagine that if they would have obeyed him and done what he asked them to do, they would have received all sorts of rewards. They could have gotten wealth and status and recognition. I imagine they could have had a place in the palace if they wanted it. They could have had just about anything they want. They would have had any reward they could think of. And yet they chose instead to give their treasures to a baby. They didn't get wealth out of that. They didn't get really any physical rewards from doing it. Just a long journey home. And that's all they were looking for. They were given the option for immediate gratification. The kind of rewards that we all chase each and every day, the kind of things that everybody wants. But instead, they considered the gifts they gave as the reward. I think back to these gifts that I, that I got from my kids. You know the other thing I remember about them? When they gave them to me, they were so excited. They were so proud of what they had. It was as if the reward was just giving me the gift. They weren't looking for something in return. They weren't waiting for me to give them something back. They were just excited to give me the gifts. And I look at that and I think, we have that same choice available to us. Sure, we can give gifts with the expectation of something in return, whatever that might be, if it's appreciation, if it's a gift back, if it's recognition, whatever it might be, we have those choices. There's no shortage of immediate gratification available to us when we give gifts this time of year. But when we do that, we make gifts the point. We turn Christmas into a what instead of a who. But we also have the choice to give the gifts and make the gifts that we give the point. The reward is in the gift that we give. We can have that childlike heart where we're just excited to give the gifts to one another and we make that the reward. And when that happens, then we're focused on the who, not the what. So this Christmas, may we search for Jesus in everything we do. May we seek him with such determination that nothing, nothing can stop us. May the gifts that we give be our treasures, the best we have to offer. And may we give it 100% solely out of love. And finally, may the gifts we give be the reward as we focus in on who we're giving them to instead of what we're giving. And I am positive if we're able to do this, this Christmas, 
the gifts will not be the point. But they will be given to point to the love of God that we have in our hearts for him and for one another. So I'm going to close this in prayer in the worship team if you guys want to come back up. Dearly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this uh, opportunity to get together here today. And we've talked about the wise men and the gifts that they gave to you. But we know the ultimate gift was the gift that you gave, God, your son, that you sent him down and that, Jesus, you gave your life for us. That's a gift that you didn't look for repayment. You didn't look for what you get out of it. You gave it to us 100% solely because you love us. We're so thankful for that. And we know we're undeserving of that, but we pray that we can follow your lead and that we also can give our gifts out of love for one another. Thank you so much for what you do and who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.